Okay, so thank you guys for joining us today on the podcast, uh, Mike and Sam. Um, I think it's good that you guys introduce yourselves in terms of what you do, your occupation, the company as a whole. Uh, I think if I do it, I might get a few bits wrong. It's, it's a little bit too intelligent for me. <laughs> no worries. All right, so I'm Mike Kosas. I'm the founder of Balance My Hormones, um, director and um, also case manager uh, for patients who have questions about TRT and we help manage and coordinate uh, those patients in a a very comprehensive program, uh, TRT being testosterone replacement therapy. So um, we've uh, set up a nice uh, service for patients that aren't getting the care that they need through the NHS and come to our service and we could put them through the, the proper medical care for testosterone deficiency. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Sam, and I am the operations director uh, for Balance My Hormones. Um, we do the sort of medical case managing, you know, coaching along the way with clients as well. Um, but like as Mike said, perfect summary of what we do there. We sort of put it all together for people, HRT, TRT, um, and just make the experience sort of supported and coordinated all the way through, which seems to it's, – it's a certain area that sort of requires it from – you know, from a journey that someone goes to, it seems to be key. So yeah, so that's what we do. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Um, I think a good place to start, and I know my subscribers love this sort of thing, especially on my YouTube, um, is testosterone and the state of testosterone at the moment for men. Um, Me and Mike spoke about this earlier in the week or last week when we had a discussion that men's testosterone levels are reported to be at an all-time low. Uh, I believe the statistic was a third of what their granddads were. Um, I guess it was around about the war period. What, what do you think is going on? Why do you think they're so low? And how much of a pandemic is it? How, and how bad is, is it going to get, really? Yeah, I, I can start with this one, Sam. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so with the low testosterone, you know, there have also been reports of lower fertility. So I think the two go hand in hand. And if you just look at our lives since the Second World War, and you know the amount of pollution and the stress in our lives. So it's the lifestyle, how busy people are, not as much time with friends and, and family to kind of relax and unwind. Not to mention the lack of uh, you know walking as much or physical activity. And then even when you are outdoors, outside in large cities, and then in our cities and towns, especially in the UK, where you know the the most dense in, in all of Europe. Uh, and, and people are in very congested small places with lots of diesel fumes that were brought about, I think, in the late 90s. Everyone switched from petrol to diesel. And that's full of pollutants, not to mention what's being polluted in the water uh, as, as well as in the foods that we eat. So, um, And lots of them are related to the uh, uh, estrogen uh, chemical disruptors. Or the, yeah. or the endocrine disruptors. There's a really good book, isn't there? There's, um, I think it's called Estrogeneration. Um picture of a tree on the front i think it's by dr anthony j um that's a really good book if you want you know because you hear like oh there's chemicals in the environment and there's things that may be disrupting our hormones um but that book's a really he's researched them he's looked at the evidence he's he's even got sort of what um certain countries allow it, it, it as an acceptable sort of level of these things so they're allowed to be in our shampoos and shower gels things like that and in our water and food supplies at certain levels so that they, they know they're already present. So there's def- that's a really good book for, you know, summarizing, you know, what Mike said about those, those sort of endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, so that's definitely one thing, you know, you can actually see the evidence of uh, as well. 
it's things like in your shampoo and shower gel um, and personal hygiene products. It's pretty much like innocent until proven guilty. So they can sort of put in a quite a, a number of different chemicals until someone goes, that's not allowed because that's an endocrine disruptor at that certain level. They go, okay, I'll change it. You know, so there's, there's the easy ways around it in that sort of, you know, in that sort of area moisturizers shower gels shampoo so definitely that blue light as well i'm not sure whether mike said that but blue light and disruption of the circadian rhythms and and how much we're exposed to as well yeah, as well as certain chemicals in our sunscreens though it's never really sunny enough to always warrant the sunscreens but you know you're on holiday or even lotions body lotions and you know people that think well it's just topical it doesn't get into the skin but you know, we've seen with you know with our own clinic that you know testosterone creams uh uh, you know, depending on the formulation, doesn't matter which uh, penetrating formulation it uses, the testosterone can still get through the skin. Well, that's one hormone, but there are other hormones that may be even more potent, like the endocrine-disrupting, you know, estrogen-mimicking hormones that do disrupt the rest of your body and get through the skin. So, you, you know, these may be some of the reasons compounded over the years, causing the decline in, uh, in, in men's both fertility and testosterone levels. Yeah, I also think that potentially there's there's maybe just more of an awareness. Um, don't know whether you guys agree or not, but it's that there may be more people are being tested when they present with like mental health symptoms, for example, you know, anxiety, depression. Were, was it for a long period of time that it was just managed differently, you know, given certain other drugs, certain avenues of treatment, and now it's more recognized as something that should be tested for. So maybe we're uncovering just more younger men you know it's really common in the uk if you you know when i first asked to get my hormones checked i had facial hair and they said you've got enough testosterone i'm not doing a blood test for you and they sent me away you know with all of my symptoms and if that's been happening and that was you know in the last sort of decade so you know 30 40 years i don't know maybe people it's just not been picked up on or even recognized potentially um Women's HRT for menopause, obviously, it's in their life. It's quite a big medical episode, right? Because they go from it's very recognised. All the symptoms come on very quickly, um, so it's been recognised as an issue that women have over the years. But men you rarely sort of experience that same. Okay, all well, my hormones suddenly drop, unless maybe you lose your testicles or or injury or something like that, or head trauma or something. It's a gradual sort of slow steal. You know, so it's sort of men sort of wither away and, and they accept things as like depression. I'm getting old, fatigue. I'm just getting old, um, you know, sexual dysfunction. Oh, it's just because I'm old. Um, I think it, I, I do think if it, if, it, if it happened like women where we suddenly hit the age of, you know, 40, whatever onwards, roughly, and suddenly they all accumulated at once and just hit us like a train. I think maybe it would be a bit more recognized potentially. In terms of fluoride-free toothpaste, hygiene products, etc., are you guys using all of them? Are you um, using the natural versions, etc.? Well, not anymore because um, I'm on thyroid hormone. So at this point, um, you know, the fluoride was going to interrupt the, um, I think, the iodine production. So um, no, I don't, I don't you know, remove those. I had for a while had gone through that phase where I was, but since I'm basically replacing thyroid hormone or the doctor's replacing the thyroid hormone, you know, there's, there's, for me, there's really no need to, um, yeah, to trial that. But that, I mean, I, I don't think that has as, as great of an impact on testosterone levels. I'm not sure if you know, Sam, uh, compared to, 
um, some of the more uh, the other endocrine disrupting hormones that have a direct impact on the low testosterone. I think he obviously through affecting the thyroid negatively can affect other hormones like testosterone. But um, I just take iodine. I think it's because they they, they compete. Like there was obviously bromide, fluoride, iodide, um, and they that that sort of group of ke- of chemicals. They it, it, we apparently. And I'm, 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 I think I'm parroting someone else here, but I thought it was a good description that we used to get like brom, bromide in our in our bread. You know, we used, we've got chlorine obviously in the water, fluoride toothpaste. So we need to have iodide or in some description to actually compete against those other um, other chemicals basically in the body. So we need we needed those for health. So I I just tried I take iodine. Uh, I'm I'm a thyroid patient as well. Um, so I still think it's a, a sort of a key nutrient. So I just make sure I actually have a lower fluoride, um, toothpaste. Um, but I don't think I did it on purpose. <laughs> I think it just ended up in my bathroom. So I could say that I do, but it wasn't, it wasn't on purpose. So yeah, I think that's the thing about it is, is, you know, we get plenty of, I think what it is, is you need iodine obviously for your thyroid hormones and we were getting plenty of, chlorine from water you know fluoride water toothpaste and we were getting bromide and stuff from bread not getting enough iodine um to keep us healthy so that's why iodine supplementation is sort of key and some doctors will suggest that what sort of percentage of men do you think are suffering from this or you know maybe living day to day they've got symptoms but they just kind of associate it as being normal because well to be honest everybody's kind of got these symptoms right now yeah i've Thought the original statistics were about was it five percent of men possibly, uh, but I, it seems like there are more people than that that are suffering from testosterone deficiency because they've changed the definition. You know, for you know the countries that use insurance-based healthcare systems, they'll lower the the level, the threshold for where you get treated. For our NHS, they've really lowered it. You have to be practically dead uh, to get on testosterone treatment through the NHS. So. Um, so I guess it depends what you define as where does testosterone deficiency start. Uh, and some of the clinicians, the um, I hate to say endocrinologists, because we've got feelings about endocrinologists and treating testosterone, but you know they'll they'll say, "What's well, hypogonadism?" You know, not only true hypogonadism is that in which it's defined in this very narrow range, and it's either primary or secondary. And then there's a greater body of evidence that's looking at testosterone deficiency as the title to de- describe this lack of testosterone in the male population. Uh, some people will go so far as calling it testosterone optimization. How do you optimize one, one's testosterone from just a normal level to an optimal level? And that gets into another area. But um, depending where you define it, that was would be the, the percentage of the population that suffers from it. But recent guidelines like the A, uh, ASA, ISSM, uh, I, IS, sorry, IS, yeah, not other ISSM, it's IASSM, the Age uh, Aging Society for Males. You know, describe that you have to look at a combination of uh, you know levels or guidance, but it doesn't tell you if you were high in your youth and now you fall in that degree, that rate of fall from having a higher level to a maybe you fall into the average range that's defined by the NHS. That's not fine for that person, that individual. That person still suffering have, has all the symptoms, so you really have to look at the symptoms that person's suffering from. You may also have to look at the amount of free testosterone due to binding hormone. 
and to really put a picture together. And you may need to go as far as genetic testing to look at the certain CAG repeats uh, in, 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 their, um, in their androgen receptor. Yeah, because there isn't, there, isn't there isn't a level of testosterone that is proven that a man, when they reach or they, if they're coming down from a certain level, oh, it's here that men will start getting symptoms of testosterone. And that's where guidelines that were made up for doctors, if they come across a patient that they think may need this sort of treatment, right? They look at the guidelines and they go, right, well, I can have a good fair crack at either providing this treatment or referring them on based on the guidelines. They have become rules, in, in, in particularly in places like the NHS, where there's absolutely a cost implication that needs to be controlled you know things like even like women's hrt you know needing to only be on it for five years and that's all you're allowed you know that there's there's not strong evidence to say women can only get benefit from hormone therapies for five years and then it stops that was based on you know cost versus efficacy so those guidelines in the nhs that the the nhs use for example but are you know there's, there's certain ones worldwide have been taken up as rules but there isn't there isn't a level of testosterone that a man, you know, says, okay, I'm now here and suddenly I, it's dropped below. Now I start getting symptoms. It could, like Mike said, if you're sitting, maybe you're, you're someone who's sitting quite high, you know, naturally for 30, 40 years. And then suddenly you have that and your levels may be at a level where somebody was cruising along, you know, happily symptom free for, for all of their life. And then someone compares that to a laboratory reference range, which is basically just samples from a laboratory. They, they do 95% of, basically. They, they, it's a, it's a, a sample from the, the test that they do in the laboratory. And then they say, oh, you're here. You're normal. You know, that means you can't be suffering from low testosterone symptoms because you're in our range in comparison to the samples from the laboratory. So that's where Mike was saying, like, sim- symptom presentation is, is huge. You know, it can direct you down that path and then you can get blood tests, but you, you, you ultimately, you know, need to be assessed by the doctor. The same thing goes for thyroid, you know, before there were accurate thyroid blood tests, I think it's almost a century now that they've been using thyroid hormone, um, in patients, they didn't have blood testing. They based on your symptoms. Sometimes they did a physical examination if you were extremely underactive. Um, and then they would try you on the hormone and if you got better, that was a, that was a successful treatment, and you needed it. And if you didn't, you, you'd stop it basically. So in places like America, you very much can if you whatever blood levels you've got, if you've got a certain level in the blood, um, but you've got symptoms, lots of doctors will just try you on TRT to optimize those levels. And that's where Mike said that the testosterone optimization therapy sort of phrase has gone from TRT to TOT instead of replacement is optimization. And then you often can get treated, but it's a little bit of a different situation in, in the UK and Europe with, with sort of what doctors can do with the, the sort of regulation that they've got. But is uh, to, to answer the question of how many, it's hard to say because you, you I suppose it, it could be multifactorial as well. You know, you've got hormones in there as well, but I, I think... TRT uh, and HRT or thyroid treatment, hormone replacement is definitely, if you're experiencing any of the symptoms, which, you know, can be higher anxiety, lower mood, fatigue, poor sleep, you know, sexual dysfunction, that could just be lower libido. 
that could be erectile dysfunction. It doesn't have to be all of them to, to tick all the boxes. If you're experiencing any of those, TRT or HRT or hormones should be a box that needs to be ticked off and checked in your path of figuring out what is wrong, if that makes sense. That does make sense. That's actually blown my mind because I've always been told that it's between this range and this range is healthy. And uh, the only the only thing I've ever known, I didn't realize until the other day when Mike said that there was a British range as well. I've always looked at it as, um, is it nanograms per deciliter, the American measurement? And um, yeah. I remember, I think the top end they said was around about uh, 800 where it becomes a little bit too high. Um, and my dad around about, I guess it's probably four years ago now, he, he managed to get... Uh, stage four prostate cancer and um, he went to the doctor and they said that and I've, I'd literally just read a book on uh, somebody Montgomery can't remember his name now but testosterone and how when it gets lower it's linked to increasing prostate cancer risk um, or getting mm-hmm. prostate cancer so I just read that funnily enough and then he gets prostate cancer so then I sit down with the with the doctor and he says, okay, I want to explain it to you too with your dad here. His testosterone is around about 780. Um, and I think they already had him on estrogen increasing tablets or testosterone declining tablets. So his testosterone must have been a lot higher than that naturally anyway. So I'd, I'd, I would have expected it with those tablets to be around about three, 400, but his was already really high. Now, I said to the doctor, surely if his testosterone was always high, probably closer to 900 to 1,000 if you've already brought it down and he was a healthy man when he was younger. Now that it's dropped and he's got ill and I've read this book, should we be lowering it anymore? And he kept persisting saying that we need to lower his testosterone even more in order to cure it. But as you get older and your testosterone drops, your immune system becomes worse. You get more illnesses, more you know injuries, whatever it might be. Um, what's the kind of thought process on that from your end is were the doctors right or is is the medical kind of industry slightly behind once again well i think that was it morgenthaler was the paper that you wrote abraham abraham morgenthaler maybe it could have been it could have been yeah i think he's one of the authors of the iss um um, so you know the, the thing that when we talk about 700 nanograms per deciliter you know it's referring to the total testosterone but you can still be deficient in testosterone if you have high levels of SHBG. And that, you know, I, I've seen that in other people and older men who have a, a really good total testosterone. You're like, yeah, well done. You know, it's, it's really good. But then if you look a bit deeper and there's a low free testosterone, usually as a result of a high SHBG level, then, um, then they actually are low. They're deficient despite how high that total is. And so because the body's not getting enough to the cells that it needs it because it's all bound up to this protein. So um, that would be the one thing to consider. And, and the other is, you know, that study came out and it said that there is a linkage between testosterone and prostate cancer. And the linkage is low testosterone puts a man at greater risk of a malignant type of prostate cancer. And in fact, the low levels all those years for many men may mask a more uh, malignant form. So, you know, you can be cruising along with very low PSA because the lower testosterone may reflect in a lower PSA, thinking everything's fine, only to eventually get symptoms, and then by that time it may be too late because you've got it spread all around your body. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 when, when you've got an active prostate cancer, you know, depending on where you're treated, they, they often will, you know, involve that sort of suppression of the androgens basically 
but the I think it was 2018, and I, I think it was the Endo- American Endocrinology Association or the Urology Association, but it was Abraham Morgenthaler leading leading on that. I believe he said that that now doctors have to, the guidelines were doctors have to tell um, patients that there is no evidence to support that testosterone causes prostate cancer. And in fact, it may be protective, um, which is obviously huge when they've reviewed all the evidence, thinking that actually doctors are still, even in this country, like if you grabbed a doctor and most doctors and went, is testosterone good for you? They'd probably say it causes prostate cancer, you know, because that, that's drilled into them from from that that side of things they so when you're you know depending on the doctor when you're i'm sorry to hear about your dad by the way that's that's okay yeah yeah, um you know the 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 depending on the doctor that you see in the protocol and the guidelines in the area that you live and and all those sorts of things they may approach it in a certain way and that can be suppressing androgens and there's a whole host of things they may do so it may vary i know in america there there are there are some doctors that are reducing testosterone during the time of treatment of the cancer and then are actually giving estrogen to a man whilst they are um, being treated because actually estrogen provides a lot of benefits in men, like it does provide mood and sex drive and energy. Um, so it's almost better than just having no testosterone or estrogen. Having the estrogen is is and there was some, some evidence showing that it actually reduced cancerous cells, which, which blew my mind. Um, and they're actually in some places they're, 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 they're looking into that sort of investigating bipolar androgen therapy where they're giving men high doses of testosterone when they've got a prostate cancer, high doses of testosterone followed by none and then high doses again and then none. I think I've talked about like 400 milligrams at a time and then stopping. And that was actually helping to fight the cancer in, in the prostate. So this is where it's sort of heading. But the, the, as far, as far as I'm aware, like the majority of places sort of in the UK and, and things like that, it will involve, you know, trying to remove androgens to a certain extent. Um, there, there, there are plenty of people in the world, if they're on TRT and they get prostate cancer, they do maybe come off TRT and they go through the whole rigmarole of, of what their treatment would be. And then as soon as they're back in remission, they start TRT again. And, and I'm monitored and doing well, you know, and I'm monitored for any sort of signs of it, of it coming back. So yeah, it may be that it, it's, it's obviously just what that doctor, I, I, I get the argument though, that you were saying, you know, um, but obviously particularly in the UK or anywhere where you've got a big controlling, like overarching thing like the NHS, which I think is, I think the NHS is great, but it can be, you know, I used to work within it, but it can be, a big slow moving sort of ship in terms of like new evidence. Cause it's got to go through a lot of rigmarole and it has its benefits, but um, yeah, in terms of finding out new things it, it, and, and you in implementing things, there's a cost restriction, but also it's, it's just sort of um, a bit slow to catch up sometimes. Yeah. Which like you said, it makes sense. Um, in terms of, I know we touched on it earlier. It was going to be one of my later questions, but um, in infertility, I see that the rates are on the rise. And I know it's not historically accurate, but you watch old films. It's, it seems like people have sex once and they've got you know triplets on the way. So, um, <laughs> uh, but in the modern era, you, you've got people trying for babies for years and sometimes still not succeeding. 
Um, it's a very touchy subject. Usually you can't speak about it without evidence or experts. I feel like I've got two here. Um, is there anything to suggest that maybe TRT treatment or increasing your testosterone does increase your uh, chances of having a baby? Well, being on TRT treatment will make about 80% of the men infertile whilst they're on treatment. That being said, you don't want to use testosterone treatment as your sole birth control method. So being on TRT is not something that will enhance your fertility. However, there are things, other uh, additional treatments that you can add, or fertility treatments. And so uh, some later studies uh, and, and fertility clinics used to make men go off the testosterone treatment if they were on it and then have uh, stimulating um, selective estrogen receptor modulators uh, that women would also use to induce ovulation. Well, men would take these to improve sperm production. Uh, But that was very difficult and and painful for men to go from having a very optimal level of testosterone to now having hardly anything or nothing at all for many, many weeks until their own body finally kicked back in and only provides them with an adequate amount, not an optimal, optimal amount, gets the sperm production going again. But it's not ideal. So uh, I think in Baylor University was uh, Sam, the um, uh, Dr. Lipschultz did some studies on, you know, having your cake and eating it. Essentially, a man doesn't have to go off his testosterone uh, treatment. He can maybe slightly lower it to stay on the same treatment, and then add in uh, something called HCG uh, and occasionally uh, a serum called clomiphene uh, used concurrently together. Uh, to both uh, maintain his libido through the exogenous testosterone, but also improve the intratesticular uh, testosterone in his testes. Because the, um, I guess the irony of it is uh, you can have all this testosterone circulating in your body from the injections or the creams, but your testes is where it matters. The origination, the, uh, when the t- testosterone is um, created within the, int- in the testicular tissue, that's what helps drive the fertility. But just because you've got floating around in your body from an injection doesn't necessarily, and in fact, it has a negative impact on fertility. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that. That's crazy. Yes, yes it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's something that you know men are educated in, that TRT, one of the side effects is that it can reduce sperm count. And that's basically because if you're getting a supply of testosterone that's not from your testicles, the normal sort of, feedback loop very basically the brain detects that there's enough testosterone in the body essentially very basically and then it will send out a signal to the testicles to tell it to make testosterone and then and sperm and then if you get the supply of testosterone not from the testicles but but from somewhere else the brain is just doing its job and goes yep got plenty of testosterone so i don't need to send the signal to the testicles to make testosterone and sperm. So sperm production and testosterone production from the testicles would be suppressed when you're on TRT. And uh, it's like having a, you know, you've got a thermostat in a house, you know, and it's set at a certain temperature. If you were, if it, when the thermostat detects as a temperature drop, tells the boiler to turn on to make some more heat, reaches a certain heat, the, the, the signal from the thermostat switch is off and then you're keeping the temperature regulation but, in, but then like trt is like putting an electric heater in the house there's another supply of testosterone and the thermostat's just doing its job and testing that there's enough testosterone so it just won't send any signal to the boiler because there's plenty of heat but turns out you know that boiler which is like our testicles also makes sperm so that's why you end up with a suppression of testosterone production and sperm count can go down. But like Mike just explained, there is an option to stimulate the testicles 
um, to create sperm again whilst you're on TRT, which is called HCG. Does that work in a similar effect to the way steroids work, where let's say they have what's called a half-life, which you're probably aware of, where you, let's say you take them for a year and then it will t- once you get off them, it might take six months. It's usually half of how long you've been taking them. So six months to get your natural production of testosterone going again. Is it, is it similar without the side effects, of course? It's, it, so steroids, testosterone, sometimes they get mixed interchangeably because the backbone of the organic molecule is a steroid ring. And, you know, some from the control point of view from the government may lump testosterone in as a controlled substance, as, as it is in most countries. Uh, the, the, the premise that you're talking about, though, uh, the, the time for recovery after being on either exogenous hormones or testosterone, um, and I'll just go through the difference between what, what's the difference between testosterone and steroids, is that testosterone mimics or is identical to what your body makes. Okay, and it comes in different formats. So, you know, uh, in, you, can te- you can have testosterone as a raw, natural, bioidentical testosterone that your body makes, and it has to get into the body. Usually it can be through a cream or a gel applied either on, you know, your skin, on your chest, or under your arms, or on your scrotum if it's a cream. An injectable testosterone is tied to a fatty acid ester, sometimes found naturally in the body, sometimes not, which the body enzymatically, through enzymes in the body, it cleaves off this, this chain, this fatty acid chain, which slows its release in the body, and giving what the free-floating natural bioidentical testosterone. So they both kind of do the same thing. Uh, an anabolic steroid looks similar in the molecular structure to testosterone, but it's not. It's tweaked. There might be like an oxygen group or hydrogen group within the organic structure, causing it to bind differently to the androgen receptor. Because that's what all these hormones do. They bind to receptor and activate some sort of cellular response. So um, this is the difference between the two. One is identical to what the body makes, and the other is a synthetic version of testosterone. Okay? And any of these will suppress your natural production of testosterone uh, over time. And I think the rule of thumb is usually twice the length of time off these suppressing hormones as you were on them to get a full recovery. But, you know, and most people have a full recovery, but recovery to what? To a normal level? Or, uh, or then do you get stuck to having a, a subadequate, uh, inadequate amount compared to what you were used to? Because the body can change its response to how well you feel on a certain level of testosterone. And so some guys who were normal before may return to being normal, but they don't feel normal once they've returned to that level because of how they felt yeah. in the past. I think that's it, isn't it? It's, it's important to note that when you hear of steroid use, when someone is abusing an anabolic steroid, or sometimes they even abuse testosterone too, that they're, they, they're, they're people with functioning systems that produce testosterone that want to take large amounts of these things for physical changes, usually athletic performance, performance enhancing, and they want to take it for a period of time, a length of time that's long enough where they get the benefits, but the side effects aren't too bad. And what they want to do is they then want to try and get their own body's production back, which is the bit where they stop. Then they're trying to get their body back online. And that's the difference, is it? That time, you know, there isn't a set time on, time off. Some people advise it, but everyone, you can be on, you know, a certain, a bunch of, anabolic steroids for example and your suppression may be more in one person than another and the, the time it takes for your system to come back may be slower than another um age obviously function of the body you know how, how it was functioning before i mean 
some guys head towards that side of things because they've got symptoms of low testosterone and they're looking, they gravitate towards things like androgens and they hear about these things and people having better sex drive and better recovery. So they actually end up, maybe they had a testosterone deficiency to begin with. So when they come off the anabolics, they actually, they weren't working very well first of all, and now it's worse than before it started. But that is important. And Mike said is that, that the anabolic steroids, you know, testosterone was, was what they isolated. And then it was for medicine um, over the years. I mean, testosterone's got an androgenic to an anabolic ratio of, of like 100 to 100. And it uh, means it has the, an androgen effect in the body, the masculinizing features, all those sorts of things that and effects that men need alongside a sort of tissue repair building sort of anabolic ratio. And their aim through taking testosterone and then chemically altering it, like Mike said, was to try and improve that ratio so that they could give these new anabolic steroids to women, to children, to people around surgery to enhance healing, to enhance recovery, a few other sort of applications for them, like improving red blood cell count and things like that in anemia. Uh, but that's what they were trying to do. Then obviously athletes were like, well, you, you, I can take something that's like testosterone, but it's got an anabolic ratio of uh, a massive anabolic effect to like a lower androgenic effect. I'm going to abuse those. And that's sort of how it, how it came about is you've got anabolic steroids, which were chemically altered versions of testosterone and some of the other derivatives of testosterone. Um, so it's clear, it's good. It's important to make that, you know, that, that sort of uh, distinction between them. Oh, that's a good. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. That's a good point, Sam, because, you know, and I think the part that you mentioned about certain men who gravitate towards you know, seeking these treatments, you know, they might be in the gym seeing their mates who might not be on anything, but they suspect they are. And they, because they respond very well to certain activities, diet, exercise, and, and the other guy doesn't. And he, like you said, he has these other symptoms of, of sexual dysfunction, potential, not as good as it, it, his mates are. And so he, he seeks it out just like some people. Um, if, you know, if they don't discover, you know, our services, you know, they'll, they'll order a blood test because their GP refused it. And then, unfortunately, they'll end up trying to self-medicate because they have nowhere to turn to or they haven't you know, discovered the, the other options. And um, it's because they're, all, you know, they're, they're seeking answers uh, you know, to this problem that's, that's not really being addressed by, by the NHS. So I've forgotten the question, but what, we got way off topic there. What was the, uh... Uh, the difference between... It's, it's okay. I quite, I quite like it when it goes off topic. It means it's an organic discussion. So I could, it's, it's, it's hard. That's I kind of get lost, lost in the discussion myself. It's, uh, it's hard to monitor everything, think of the questions and listen to what you guys are saying. So. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, stop us from rambling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask about, because uh, you touched on a few things there where you said um, it, it seems as though there's a lot of things that are environmental that are affecting us, but it also seems as though there's definitely a, a part that genetics are playing. What would you say the kind of split percentage is between the two? That's difficult. I mean, it's there's so many there's so many factors that potentially could be or is, it the, or is it the environment affecting the epigenetics? Yeah, so you've got your, your blueprint, your genes, but then you've got the you know instruction guide of how to make you know that. So, and if that gets upset or, or you know disrupted, yeah, you know, could that be one reason for? And it could be the environmental you know toxins affecting the epigenome. So, yeah, I, I couldn't give you a percentage. I don't know. I mean, what we see are you know, we, we get the men. 
um, and sometimes women, because women can have low testosterone as well, they come in you know, to the clinic or contact us and you know, have these concerns and then we have to address them uh, the, you know, the, the best way. I think that's it. Is that there's no way of knowing whether this is your genetics 100%, whether it's epigenetic, whether it's environmental. You know, there's potentially there's things like trauma, you know, psychological or physical trauma or during childhood and maybe deficiencies at certain points right back to the womb. You know, there's there's so many factors that are in play. But I think it's, it's obviously when you get to that point of, having symptoms potentially needing treatment you obviously take it the doctors have got to take it by a case-by-case basis and and sort of treat what's in front of them you know so yeah i I think it'd be hard to to get i mean they're definitely there's definitely genetic factors you know there are genetic conditions that uh, are associated you know with low testosterone hemochromatosis you know some chromosomal conditions um autoimmune disease things like that um, and then, you know, there's the environment and it's just got to be a, a mix of both, right? To, to end up, do you agree, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I mean, even with the autoimmune disorders, it could be, you know, if you're allergic to wheat, you know, celiac, you know, potentially that could be causing a flare up and that's more for thyroid, but, um, who's to know what other effects of that autoimmune are on your testes? You know, if your body's inflamed at one organ, could it be inflamed in the other? Yeah. So you said uh, epigenetics, which really caught my attention. Um, I've always said, like, guys don't realize that what they're doing now and how they're living now is affecting how their kids are going to be in the future. And I, I believe epigenetics is going to it's going to explode. I, I mean, it's already taken off, but I think it's going to explode in terms of showing people why certain things have happened to them in their lives or, you know, how it's been passed on. I think it might take... Um, the percentage of discussions that genetics alone has been taking, you know, it's going to take responsibility for them in the future. Um, with things getting worse, as we said earlier, that the testosterone levels are a third as what they were, let's say, 100 years ago. Let's say this trend continues. Are we looking at a situation, I don't know if you've seen the film, but would be similar to something like Children of Men, where the entire planet goes, you've seen the film, that's okay then. <laughs> yeah, great film, yeah. That's a yeah. good film. I don't. I don't know. We lost down to the last one, and then a new new child's born under this new. Yeah. I, I hope not. I think that'd be a yeah. terrible dystopian future. Yeah. Um, but I think there are ways that, with technology, worst case scenario, it would just make it more expensive for people to have children. You know, uh, you have to have more IVF. You'd have to have more intervention, and that might not be fair everyone so there may be a big divide between those who can afford it and those who can't if it's not provided on the nhs so it might be out of the the budget for the nhs so um because obviously that would be a more than on a national level kind of kind of part of the um the, the country strategy you know if you're losing population that's not going to be really good for for the economy for anything yeah i think it's I, sorry mike I just, yeah, just gonna say it, it's one of those things where i think if if it's being recognized an issue there's got to be some like massive recognition of it and act upon it in some way you know it's got to be but look at like pollution global warming things like that the environment is there's plenty of people sort of campaigning for it and pushing it but i I don't know how much influence they're having but that could equally you know be as detrimental to our lifespan you know and the the fact that men's fertility levels are are dropping already 
finding out what is the cause or what potentially could be the cause and then taking on a mass scale to sort of try and, you know, remove those factors is is probably where it needs to go, I think. But it's just, it's time's going to tell, isn't it? It's going to be the trend. I mean, I know the ginger gene's dying out, so I've got to try and keep that one strong um, <laughs> for as long as I can. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of, lots of HCG for me. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that's that's my view on it, Mike. Sorry, I cut you off. You know, I think we can just chip away. I guess I'm more of a rugged individual in some regards, um, in the sense that you know we can't always depend on a big government program to, um, to to solve all these problems. And where we can, on the ground level, uh, help to to make things better, that's that's what we're, we're trying to do. That's why I set this up. I couldn't depend on the NHS to change their policy towards men with low testosterone. So. You know, I set up Balance My Hormones so we can find solutions for people who weren't getting the help that they needed. And that's all we can do is hope that there are interventions. And if, if, if there's enough people on a larger scale that could come together, it might happen. But like Sam said, look at the environmental movement. It's just very slow and incremental, the changes. And, you know, this has been going on for, what, 30, 40 years. You don't see a massive change. We're still using fossil fuels. There's still, you know, pollution. The oceans are getting worse with the toxic plastics, which we then eat uh, through fish or fish oils. And it um, doesn't seem to be getting any better on so many fronts. So if we can do our bit, our part um, in the TRT world, but in some ways we're fighting fire with fire, right? Ideally, the body would make more of its own. We would find some sort of know, genetic or, or, or some therapy that would instruct the body to make more. Um, but the, the, the least uh, invasive, probably most cost-effective method would be some sort of exogenous testosterone treatment. You know, either some you know, topical scrotal cream or you know, injectables if it's uh, if it works for, for most men. And when fertility is required, it might require a few more uh, treatments added added to the mix. Or there may be testosterone boosting treatments if you've never been on an exogenous testosterone. So there are ways that can help today men that have you know low levels and you know hopefully with an eye towards the future you know if the environment cleans up maybe men you know generations from now might not need testosterone or maybe we get so many men on testosterone treatment that it changes the epigenome where then the body requires more testosterone so either it has to kick in make more or we're always on testosterone i'm not really sure yeah um one, one thing i really wanted to ask you again uh well, both of you, but specifically Mike, is when we spoke the other day about uh, the receptors in the body and how I think it was pollution, how that's affected the receptors. Um, I think you said that you can have all the testosterone in the world, but if the receptors get affected, it means nothing. That blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, there's certain endocrine disruptors that don't just disrupt the pituitary axis for the production of testosterone. I think this is also in that book, The and. Yeah, Jay, yeah. Uh, about uh, estrogen. What's it called? Estrogenation. It's uh, like the, how the Americans say estrogen. So it's like estrogenation. Estrogenation. And so there's a certain type of this chemical endocrine disruptor that actually attaches to the receptor, blocking the entry of the testosterone or the androgen into the receptor. And, and so you could have lots of it floating around, but you know you've induced a state of um, what's it called? Androgen insensitivity syndrome. Or, or you know, some people there's a gen- genetic component where you, know, you test their blood, they've got a massively high amount of gonadotropins, LH and FSH, that's like part of the thermostat, and they get massive amounts of testosterone, but they have feminized uh, genitals or you know, very small genitals as a result because they've got this genetic abnormality which causes the body not to either make dihydrotestosterone or uh, receive the dihydrotestosterone if it does make it. 
Um, so that's, you know, in some ways, it may be what some people might be having created as a result of exposure to these, these chemicals. This, this is the other argument in America, sort of the sort of leaders in in the field where they're, they're able to be a bit more liberal with how they treat is that their argument is thyroid sort of insensitivity, thyroid resistance was something that they fought for in the medical community for a while, which was you may need larger amounts of thyroid hormone to actually have, exert an effect in the body that the, the body needs because of insensitivity to receptors being blocked. And just like with insulin insensitivity, where diabetics need more and more and more uh, often, you know, uh, to actually have the same effect for insulin to control blood sugar, That's that hormone is needed to, to control blood sugar. Thyroid hormone is the same. Like what? So with with all of these known endocrine disrupting chemicals blocking the androgen receptor, what? Why? Why can I? This is their, you know, this is their argument is why can I not give a man who's got good levels of testosterone more testosterone if they've got symptoms because they could have great blood levels of testosterone, but they could have, you know, like Mike said, all of those receptors blocked. Um, not allowing them to exert their effects and by increasing the amount of testosterone, sometimes way above what, you know, in a blood test you might see as, as physiological um, to, to actually get symptomatic resolution, get the actual actions of testosterone in the body. Why can they not do that? So that's why they, you know, and using the argument of there's no evidence to show it, it's a certain level either. The testosterone levels, um, you know, symptoms begin to appear at a certain testosterone level. Why can I not just give a man who's got good levels of testosterone more to see if it improves his symptoms, his blood work, and things like that? So there was um, androgen sensitivity syndrome that I've seen in some of the NHS's nice guidelines, and one of them was for those particular subset of patients, they will give, but they consider massively high dose, so they may give uh, 250 milligrams of uh, testosterone per week. For those patients who get enough, but that's really the only treatment. And, and ideally, would probably also have like a DHT component as well, but that's not available commercially. So um, so they recognize that for those very, it's a very rare amount of people, a very small amount of people that would have that partic- particular genetic defect. But um, so that it's already kind of established. But you're right, Sam, in, in, in other people that that might not have been identified uh, because of environmental factors, um, yeah, we see that some some patients require more testosterone than others to to you know solve the resolve the symptoms. There's a there's a common kind of thought out there right now, especially in kind of the sporting world. That uh, I, I guess a lot of weightlifters too. But as soon as you get to around about forty, a lot of people are saying well, if you've got enough money, you should get on TRT. Is there kind of a recommended age, or is it very case by case? I think it's case by case. I don't think you can say if you've got if you're 40 years old and you've got a really good functioning pituitary axis and you don't really have symptoms other than the desire to be really muscly. <laughs> but if you you know if you've got the libido, the morning erections, a uh, good amount of energy, get up and go, and you don't seem to have the other problems, then it's kind of a waste to to do that. But you can keep an eye on if things you know start degrading. Or- or you can get a blood test and you can take that blood test and say, wow, I'm 40 years old. I've got these massively optimal levels at 40. And you can hang it on the wall, be proud of it. And then if you start getting symptoms five years later, six years later, then you can get another blood test. And then you can have got something to compare it with. 
And now you know what your optimal level was, at least at that point at 40. And when it goes downhill from there, you'll know, and maybe you've got that evidence to show your doctor to say, well, I was here at 40. I've got these symptoms now and I'm, and I'm 45. Clearly, maybe you know, there is a need to be on treatment. Yeah. So I, I'm a big advocate for, for testing. I think uh, you know, even adolescents should be tested because so many of the problems can, can come at a younger age and no one routinely tests this as part of your workup. And, um, you know, the psychological issues, there's issues of not entering puberty at the same rate as your peers. Sometimes it's not just delayed puberty, but it could also be um, the, the fact that you're hypogonadal, but in an adolescent state. And then you'll continue to be throughout the rest of your life. So um, if this were part of the, of the general screening, I think you may solve a lot of problems earlier on. And if you end up being on testosterone anyway, how nice would it have been to know if you started it earlier that your quality of life would have been better from an earlier age on, yes, you've got to be on a medication. That's not always perfect for everyone. And traditionally, everyone thinks, uh, you know, if you don't have to be on any medications, that's preferred. And that, that is, it makes life a bit simpler. But if you've got these symptoms lingering for decades that affects relationships in your quality of life, then I think there's an argument to be made for starting or at least monitoring, screening people at a younger age. Like thyroid issues, for example, are, are picked up in younger people, you know, uh, Obviously, there's in the, in things like the NHS. There's obviously restrictions. Everyone's not just tested for everything every year, but you know, starting in some insurance companies and things, they are figuring out that if they test people earlier on for things like hormone deficiencies, it's probably going to save the money in the long term of you know other health conditions. But the the thyroid is detected early on, so uh, I think, like Mike said, adolescents and things. They do it now. So if someone presents with particularly underdeveloped characteristics and they do the genetics testing and things like that, but you know, we've had a few guys that actually they said, oh, for, um, for about six months during when I was like 15 or 16, I got put on testosterone by the NHS just for that period of time because they said I was underdeveloped. So they had low testosterone. They got put on testosterone for six months and then they've come off and obviously they were suppressed during that time. And then they've got low testosterone again. And it can be like their late 20s, early 30s, but they've lived for the last decade with, you know, on antidepressant medication, anti-anxiety medication, you know, lack of sexual activity, all those things. So it is sort of picked up, but it should be screened, like Mike said. It should, you should, it should be looked at um, throughout the journey. And I, I think that, going back to your question, I don't think, if you're at 40, if you're at 50, if you're 60 and you've got, good levels and you don't have symptoms I, I don't think there's any reason to at all I've, I've i've chatted to some like 55 year olds that are like they've got higher levels naturally than i've got on trt and they're just like they laugh about it they were just coming to get a blood test for like a baseline and like, i just want to keep an eye on this which is what mike said i think is a sensible thing to do have that baseline and if it changes then you can compare um but i think at any age i think any age if you if you have symptoms like i said before it's a box to definitely tick you know, you, you, I think you need to have it looked into, monitored. Because there are some other options. There, there may be other conditions, other other factors, diet, lifestyle, things like that. A young age or something going on that may be contributing. You know, so keeping an eye on the hormones and where they're at. And if you if you if you correct all those other things, and and then there's still that that way to go, then then you can consider sort of getting intervention, I suppose, with a doctor and to try and correct your hormones. I think even vitamin D3 monitoring is very important um, because that really is more than a vitamin. It, it actually acts like a hormone in the body. So 
that's very important to, to monitor it and throughout life, really. You don't think of much sun, do we? No. <laughs> <laughs> ginger people can absorb a little bit more, I think, though. <laughs> that's, what, that's one blessing for us. Like solar panels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, with all that being said, what the hell is Mike Tyson doing? <laughs> how is he how is he um you know. six months ago you know in the worst shape of his life dad bods you know looking like he's on the decline six months later at 53 years old he's in the best shape of his life moving like he was when he was 21 is that and, and he's hanging out like we said with trt belfort so is is it like <laughs> is it like well, Lee he's on trt or is, is he just a freak well i know people are just going to jump into being like it's got to be trt it's got Gotta be anabolic yeah, steroid actually, use, yeah. and and it may, there may be that, but he's got money, right? He he's 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 got amazing genetic. This is my view on it. Like yeah. I'm happy someone tells me that they think I'm wrong, but he's got amazing amazing genetic. Look at him as an athlete. He was like, I think when he was like 16 or 15 years old, he looked like he was like a 35 year old man. Like he was an absolute unit. And you know, he's he's look, look at what he's achieved, look what he can do. So, he's probably got a strong genetic foundation. I think we probably agree on that. Um, that he's, he's got that underneath. He's probably got loads of money to get his diet bang on. He's probably got someone covering his nutrition, someone covering his training, sleep, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, you're right. The age, but I don't, you might be on TRT already. And if you've got those optimized hormone levels, um, if you do all those right things and you've got the genetics, I mean, you, you can see some real, we've got, we've got some guys like in their fifties who are just, you know, some of them are like amateur boxers now doing like amazingly well, like absolutely in, in like a shape that I've never, ever been in like ever in my life. And I just, I don't know how they got to there and they, they're on TRT. It's they're doing all the right things. Um, so I think maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he's on TRT. Obviously look in America, celebrities, they have access to it. It's, and particularly in America, it's it's been around a lot longer, right, Mike? Yeah. Can... Well, it, it hasn't and hasn't. So, I mean, even in America, I know you, you, we look to America from here and say, oh, it's been, they've got all these things available. And they do. But if but also Americans, like well, with their NHS here, feel like they're kind of chained to their insurance plan. And a lot of the insurance plans, they're out to make money, and they don't want to pay for the treatments so if they don't have to. So uh, when I was at the Arnold Classic in Columbus this year, uh, one of the uh, the doctors in Columbus said, you know, he's got to tell his patients, you know, to come off testosterone for about two weeks so they can get a new baseline level every six months, which is insane to have to come off your testosterone just so they can qualify and get coverage from their healthcare insurance. So, um, so it's not if you if you expect to have someone else pay for your healthcare, you have to jump through those hoops, uh, just like we do with the NHS. And if you're willing to pay cash pay in America, there are doctors who aren't who don't have the constraints like we do here through their regulatory bodies to the same degree we have here, who are able to trial new therapies based on evidence uh, to enhance one's uh, quality of life and to you know and solve the problems with the symptoms. And so that's. Just want to let people know that you know America, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, and and TRT. Yes and no. It might not have TRT as readily available as you think, depending on yeah. your resource probably, and your ability to pay for it. Probably misinformation for me. Like it, it, it absolutely is. When I've been referring to America in this whole conversation, it's it's essentially the the cash based doctors are specialised in this that they can do. <laughs> They might know, but they probably think that you can just pop over to America and walk into any hospital and it will happen. You know, if you're in the Veterans Administration, because you're a vet, uh, which is, I would say, comparable to our NHS, but not, uh, I would say, um, our, yeah, it's, it's uh, not as 
I can't even compare it to the NHS because the NHS is you know amazing the level of service overall that you get for general things. Um, but it, both being governmentally run programs, they're very restrictive. The VA, from what what I've heard of people that I know in the states, um, even more so than the the private health insurance uh, that, that's available. So. Um, they're going to look at it very much in this governmental institutional one-size-fits-all approach like our NHS does for the most part for, for men's TRT. But yeah, I think Mike Tyson's probably got some money and probably can see a private doctor. Uh, so maybe that's my point. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's... But you know what? There should yeah. be no problem with it. There should be no shame. You know, yeah, you know if he had a, a suboptimal level as a man and this is enhancing his life and he also does something that he loves and he's only, you know, getting his levels to, a, you know, an optimal level for him... There's no disadvantage, especially. I mean, if anything, the disadvantage is his age. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, he's been, smoking, he's been smoking a lot of weed as well. He's, like, I think, he's heavily invested in like the cannabis industry, and I think that he enjoys that, and he's been doing that for a long period of time. And that, uh, and you know, maybe eating a bit more, being less active, and things like that. It may be that he's, you know, whatever it is, he, he's, you know, having opt. This is the thing about CRT. It's, it's there. Are, there are plenty of people out there that have great testosterone levels who are unfit fat you know having insulin insensitivity it, it's not a magic bullet but if you're doing all of the right things and you've got optimal testosterone levels whether that's a nice natural level that's produced you know consistently nice healthy level from your own body or whether it's trt if you start doing those other things you know training diet sleep mental health work you know mindfulness all those things, um, self, you know, improvement. That's when all of it comes together. And if you remove the hormones from all of those activities, you might make improvements. And fair enough, but it's definitely hindered. Would you agree, Mike? That, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like what was my one mate say? Testosterone and donuts don't mix. Psychiatrist, you you have to do the right things. You can't expect testosterone to do all the heavy lifting but like you said we've seen guys who were doing all the right things diet exercise you know proper sleep mindfulness and then were still low on testosterone you know and started the testosterone treatment and they just blossomed everything came together it all seemed to work as it should and that's that's an amazing success story on, on their part yeah which is when i was mentioning if you've got symptoms you've got to tick the boxes right so and i think some of those things well, yeah, all of those things are things that have to be considered. You know, if, if you're stressed, if you've got low mood, you're fatigued, tick the testosterone box. So absolutely. And I think it's a great, great place to, to look into, start investigating. You may not even deal with that immediately. You know, you, you may go, right, well, I'm clearly not sleeping. I don't sleep at all. I drink, sleep an hour a night. I'm going to try and nail some of that first and see if I can improve those other areas, diet, exercise, mindfulness do those things and then maybe check in on the testosterone again, you know, and, and, and use it all as a whole picture. And if you, if you get TRT and, and that's, that's something you, you actually start receiving, then you, you got it. And that's when, when guys actually, it's a big part on TRT. We talk about the journey through it where some guys think that just taking testosterone is going to make magically puppet them up, make them go and do mindfulness, make them go and train and suddenly achieve 10 years worth of training in the gym, you know, as a base um, and able to make them sleep perfectly and they won't get disrupted and they won't, they won't go on their phone and then it's going to make them do it. And it's absolutely not the case is if you have the, the hormones in the right place and then you start to do them, 
that's when you get the the compounded reassurance and sort of uh, a reminder of what having optimal testosterone allows you to do if you do the right things if that's a good summary that makes sense yeah and you you have to assume as well tyson's been there he's done it he's like like his level of training is probably like 10 20 30 times harder longer than any of us could ever imagine like he's been there he's done it at the top level the one thing i wanted to ask you guys is probably the final question before i direct it to uh, where people can find you uh, but what's the link between fasting? I've I've heard that there's like some reported cases of if you fast for 24 hours, your uh, HGH can go through the roof. Is that true? Go, yeah, Mike. Yeah, there is something. Yeah, when you fast, you you can get elevations, but any of these interventions are, are short lived. So they say if you do squats, you're going to boost your testosterone level as well, or if you you know, eat. This or that, you're going to get this boost. And um, I mean, you can't go around the whole your whole life fasting just to get that growth hormone boost, and you can't do squats all the time just to get the testosterone release. So, um, yeah, look, there are certain interventions they do to test your growth hormone as a growth hormone stimul- stimulation test, where they'll you know uh, intravenously inject um, arginine, or they'll have some sort of growth hormone releasing hormone to test your output of your growth hormone, so you can actually measure that. And so, there are interventions that you can take but those are called diagnostics those aren't necessarily a full-time treatment if you are deficient in one of those so um i yeah i, I don't know i don't know enough about i, I do remember this uh some fasting um you can get higher levels i know when we have people do their blood tests we ask them to fast um mostly so that we would get a, a proper look at the, the lipid levels you know they're making sure the triglycerides are low enough mm. um and in our normal panels, most men don't, we don't, we have to do a special test for uh, IGF-1, which is a measure of the function of growth hormone. So growth hormone is very pulsatile in nature, and you're not going to just be able to randomly go get that test at this time unless there's some sort of stimulus. And fasting isn't normally one of the stimuluses that are used by the laboratory to measure your growth hormone, okay? So it's usually some more, uh, some other sort of drug, uh, I think, um, sumorelin, is a growth hormone releasing type hormone that's used uh, as a diagnostic uh, to, to test your function of growth hormone if you if it's a, uh, suspected that you've got a growth hormone deficiency, uh, and then if you're put on treatment, it's usually human growth hormone after that. But generally, for our you know for clients that we're looking to see what the function of the human growth hormone level is, you can measure something called insulin-like growth factor one, and insulin-like growth factor one is a good determinant because it sticks around in the blood a lot longer. So growth hormone, the way it works is you get secreted from the brain, the liver converts it into IGF-1, and then if you measure the IGF-1 levels, you, you then have a better understanding of how much uh, growth hormones in the body. Okay. I think it's that part as well, in the presence of low insulin. So obviously when you eat food or carbs or things, if you, if you, if you get an insulin release, I think it blunts that IGF-1 conversion in the liver from your growth hormone. So optimal growth hormone, like if, if people are using growth hormone um, exogenously in any sort of circumstance, or even like the peptides, often using it in a fasted state um, helps with that growth factor production. There's other things as well, like estrogen's needed and things to, to optimize that. But yeah, I think fasting is just a, it's not for everybody, you know, um, if you've got adrenal issues or thyroid issues and, I found out the hard way with that, that I was trying to intermittent fast whilst trying to recover my thyroid and ended up with 
really poor blood sugar control. Um, but if you, I think if you're fasting, I think it's a good thing to do. You know, you can do intermittent fasting if, if you're, if you're healthy and you're trying to lose weight, improve your insulin sensitivity. Um, yeah, I think it's a healthy thing to do. And obviously if your growth hormone release is optimized during that time, then that's a win as well. I mean, I, I do intermittent fasting. It's usually called skipping breakfast. <laughs> you don't feel so guilty about yeah. like, oh, well, I didn't really skip breakfast today. I just did intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, um, yeah. that's, but it's, um, I mean, I think there's a place for it. it. I think you have to also be careful that you don't like double down on your calories for that particular day because it's very easy to do if you do skip a meal, which is why, you know, in the early noughties, I was very big into the five or six meals a day, small, frequent meals throughout the day. And I seemed to feel seemed like I was at my leanness at that point. But it's very hard to do, uh, to take a break, to stop or, you know, prepare your meals. So um, I guess just whatever works for, for most people. And I think there can be some benefit for intermittent fasting. I've, like, I've tried it myself. Okay. There's so much information here that we've covered. I think, I mean, I'm going to be able to put out about 100 snippets out of this. So... <laughs> Um, unbelievable stuff. Uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you guys, how would they do that? Where can they find you? And uh, also, what's the kind of process, maybe costs that they can expect if they want to go down this route? Okay. So you can find us at balancemyhormones.co.uk is the website. And, you know, we're, we're a full service. We've got there's different bits to our service. You know, the initial bit is your blood testing service, which is self-service or you can call the office and we can organize the blood test for you. You can order directly from the website, you know, for hours that we're not in the office. Uh, so the one way to contact us is through uh, the main number, um, you know, plus four, four, uh, or 020 or you can uh, contact us on the website directly. We've got an online chat feature, which, which features our own staff, you know, the, uh, that are answering that online chat. It's not a robot or AI um, or, you know, someone in another country. It's you know, actual employees of ours uh, in the UK that are answering questions that have a you know, good knowledge of uh, how to direct you. Uh, the other part of the company, of course, is the clinic uh, that, that, we, that we offer, you know, the, the clinic services for treatment of, uh, of low, low T. Um, and we you know, also have the network of doctors around the UK uh, as, as, as well. So, um, but it starts with a blood test, and uh, you know our blood test compared to you know other services out there will actually direct the patient to the most efficient way to treatment. So uh, a cost of a blood test uh, can start at forty four pounds for you just and we don't and we we don't sell just the testosterone total on its own because that's kind of meaningless. Uh, just having the total, as we said earlier, we need to know what the binding hormone is, the sex hormone binding globulin. We need to know what your calculated free testosterone is to get a better picture, at least if you're just, if you're just curious about your testosterone. So we, I think we sell the, the test for, um, I, I think, a, a lower price compared to other companies that will sell just a testosterone test. We try to give you the, the, the a, a t- testosterone plus is what the test is called. And the secondary test, there's two other tests that we, uh, will we'll aim you, you towards is the um, it's a mini comprehensive one that looks at just enough for like hematology, full blood count, uh, cholesterol levels, testosterone, estrogen, luteinizing hormone. They're on the website, uh, and, and that test is about seventy nine pounds. So the general range is um, forty four ninety five up to about one hundred fifty five for a most comprehensive test that looks at a whole load of things like vitamins. 
um, as well as a full blood count and everything you need for TRT. So all the tests are directed, one, if you're curious, and two, to help you get on treatment, you know, once you've satisfied your curiosity and you find out that you might be low. And our staff is there for full support and the coaching, uh, you know, for that part of it. And then obviously if you do get on treatment, um, I Sam could tell you about the other part of the service, you know, that, that could vary depending on, on which treatment uh, that, that you require. It could be anything from testosterone boosting with certain fertility medications all the way up to, you know, testicular uh, um, scrotal application of creams to, you know, certain injectable testosterones that they'd be needed. And there's obviously a cost for the doctor's consultation um, and, and as yeah. well as the, the medication. Sam, do you want to... Yeah, we've got a good... Like the best... Obviously, you know, the treatments are bespoke. is not just one thing for, for one person. But if you go on the website, we've got a summary of costs on there, a pellet hole page on it. So it's probably better people just run through that and you can see them on there. So it's pretty easy to yeah. see. Yeah, as well for the blood test part, there is as well. So, I mean, I think one of the things that, that you know, we work through the process is to make sure that you're, you're supported every step of the way. You know, you, you're essentially, um, you get your TRT coach uh, that's there to support and guide you throughout the process. Um, even when you come in for a blood test, if you have questions, we're there. Um, as, as people who have been on the treatment, you know, we've got a staff uh, that, uh, you know, the ones that are interfacing in, in the coaching service, uh, they've been on the treatment or, you know, previously uh, in, in, as a medical doctor, helping men and women uh, kind of sort out the, the hormones and, and, and experience the um, just the support throughout the whole process. It's from start. So from even when you come in, it's just from start all the way through, you know, we're, we're sort of with you, I don't say holding a hand, but it's you essentially got someone who's been through it that you can speak to whenever you need to, you can make an appointment. It's, it's sort of all included in our, sort of subscription of, of, of the treatment plan that you're on. So, and we, we, we stay with you along the way. So I've got a certain number of men that, you know, I deal with and support through the journey. And if you come through, you'll have somebody to, um, to, to sort of, you know, it's, it's answering stupid questions that, you know, you may not want to bother the doctor with, um, or may not want to have another consultation with like, you know, I'm at six weeks, uh, you know, what, what, what do men normally experience at six weeks? Um, is it normal that the men normally feel this? And it might be that actually it, it, the answer might be as different for different people, but this might improve at this point. And so we're there along the way for that sort of informal non-medical stuff. Obviously you have your doctor that you, you have your consultations with and you can have consultations with along the way. Um, but yeah, it's that sort of that personal coach side of things that guys find really helpful. I mean, when I came through, I was, I had anxieties. I mean, I mean, even, you know, someone mentions about it, there's usually questions like, you know, how often will I need to do this? What's it going to be like? If, if you suddenly feel strange or weird or you really, this is the classic thing is there's a lot of misinformation or utilization of information about TRT and social media by certain people and doctors and things to sort of make people gravitate towards them. You know, it's creating anxiety about something then give the person the answer to the anxiety, which is to come and see me. And it really does affect people. It affected me early on in TRT. I thought I should be on this dose, a certain frequency, this, that, and the other. So just have a, a certain point of contact of actually knowing a big patient cohort of what they go through is usually really helpful just to separate sort of the wheat from the chaff, you know, in, on the um, on the internet. Because yeah, you can read thing right and it can terrify you yeah it can be a minefield out there for some of these guys I and mean, when we talk to some of them that you know you, you, you find out they said oh well you know I, I thought about 
this. I heard about this on, online, you know, wanted to try that. And you, you've got to really support them to say, you know, stay the course what the doctor chose because it's very easy to go down the, into the weeds with because you heard this and you heard that and that might be applicable to someone who has a particular almost phenotype of, of it you know they might have a certain blood panel that might be the best treatment for them but really the best treatment for a patient is a treatment that's going to work best for that patient and you can't compare what your treatment is necessarily to someone else's treatment and the doctor creates a treatment plan a bespoke treatment plan you know, for that, that patient situation based on the, the blood profiles and based on, um, uh, you know, their, their experience. Perfect, guys. So much information there. I, I can't wait to actually watch it back so that I can, uh, you know, I can listen properly as a fan rather than uh, rather than somebody who's just answering the, oh, asking the question, should I say. Um, well, good. I think we're going to end it there, but thank you so much for coming on, guys. Really, really appreciate your time. And I, I think we're going to help thousands of men with this video so it's great thanks so we'd like to have you on our channel um as as well we've got our our youtube channel we're kind of growing the base uh, about 1230 at the moment so just balance my hormones is another place where they get more information and we'll have you on there too that'd be great thank you so much really appreciate you guys yeah thank you speak to you soon see you guys Cheers. bye